and welcome to Creative Lives, the Lecture in Progress podcast. Lecture in Progress is an online resource that inspires and informs the next generation of talent by providing practical advice and insight into the creative industry. This podcast series features a broad range of people talking about what they do and how they got to where they are. This week, we meet Emma Gannon, whose varied work has seen her become a best-selling author and reach millions of people with her blockbuster podcast, Control-Alt-Delete. I'm Emma Gannon. I'm an author, broadcaster, podcaster, writer. The list could go on, which is why I suppose I call myself a multi-hyphenate now. Having grown a reputation and following as a blogger in what might now be referred to as the blogging heyday, Emma has been able to establish a career on her own terms and is an impassioned advocate for flexible, varied and self-sufficient working. This approach is something she's come to refer to as the multi-hyphenate method, the title of her second book, which was released earlier this year. I just get quite bored by routine and the same things happening. I always quit my job after a year because I always felt like I was repeating myself and I don't like repeating myself. I started by getting Emma to tell us what her day-to-day work looks like and where it happens. So for me now, I keep Mondays free. Mondays is like my desk day. It's really sacred. If I need to sit in my pyjamas and finish stuff off, I do. So I have a lot of projects on all at once, which can seem a lot, but I'm quite good with my time and just making sure that every week I don't have too many plates to juggle each day. But I suppose... A week could be being on a magazine shoot. I've been doing a lot of press recently around my book. It could be interviewing people for my own podcast. And actually what I tend to do is interview about four or five people in a day, which is kind of crazy, but it means I've got over a month's worth of content. So I I do cram things in. And then some days I'll just be at home. I'm working on a new book at the moment, so I just need no meetings in a few days in the week and then I'll have a day where I'm in central London which is only really once a week now. While multi-hyphenate working isn't a totally new concept, Emma's latest book makes a case for why it's a great time to adopt this way of working. She tells us what it means to her, its relevance today and her advice on making it work for you. Essentially the portfolio career is coined in the 80s and all it means is having multiple projects on and it's funny because I've had readers in their 80s come up to me and say oh this book I you know I've been doing this for for decades but really interesting that you're taking it into a modern realm and talking about social media in new ways and talking about time management in new ways. I read an article with Malcolm Gladwell saying recently that you can't really be one thing anymore he's just gone into podcasting so if it's good enough for Malcolm it's good enough for us. Yeah I just think that you can't really be one thing anymore and I didn't make that rule. I don't necessarily think it's a good thing all the time, to be honest. I actually left my job because the company I worked at folded. So half of me is saying, look at this amazing lifestyle. And half of me is saying, oh God, look at the times we're in. And actually this is a necessity as much as it is a lifestyle choice. I think there's a few different types of being a multi-hyphenate, which is why I do think the book is for everyone, even though a lot of people might look at it in Waterstones and think that's not for me. There's being a multi-hyphenate like me where I have, you know, five different projects on at the same time and I actually really thrive off that. You have to be really self-motivated and it's absolutely not for everyone. But there's also being a multi-hyphenate where, you know, you work at Google full-time and you have a side project that Google want you to do And I think they have a rule in their company that allows for extracurricular sort of hobbies and things. And I think Gmail was created by an employee going off and doing something with his spare time. So basically it 
helps the company by increasing side hustles. And then there's also people who are you know, maybe retiring or they're getting to maybe their 60s and they've worked in the city all their life or they've been a dentist all their life or whatever it might be and actually they realise that they really love gardening. You know, they're still a multi-hyphenate. So I think it doesn't mean self-employment, it just means having multiple things that you love doing. Unfortunately, I think it's crucial to have an online presence if you're a multi-hyphenate. All it means is having a network who employ you. I don't think it's about having a million Instagram followers and doing strange things to increase your following. I think it's having a hundred people who follow you on your blog or 10 people who DM you on Instagram seeing if you're around or I think it's about community online. But you have to be known. You have to put yourself out there. If no one knows that you exist, how will anyone employ you? So I really think your first page of Google is really important, even if it's just your website with your email address on. And then the second page is maybe some really good press, you know, in It's Nice That, for example, talking about how amazing you are. You know, that's so crucial. So I think an online presence is important, but it just needs to be something credible and something you're proud of. Hailing from Devon, Emma describes her upbringing and how her English degree led to her first proper job in the world of PR. I was born in Exeter in Devon and I always knew I wanted to be creative in some way. It's funny because sometimes I think that your grades or your experience at school kind of makes up your mind for you because I wasn't good at anything else. And I think that builds your confidence. So I did English and drama for my A-levels like the two Englishes and then drama and I got really good grades in my A-levels and that's because they're all of the same sort of subject you know it's just writing and acting like I I just knew that was the path I was going to go down but interestingly all of my childhood was in Exeter which is an amazing city I love it but it's it's really traditional in the jobs you have like you're a lawyer or you're a doctor or you are a teacher, like very binary roles. So yeah, I just didn't know anyone that earned money doing a creative job. I moved to Southampton to to do a degree. I did it English and then I also did a few modules to do with film and script writing. So I just thought that was super interesting. And actually Mark Commode was my guest lecturer in one of my lessons and I just love him. So that was really exciting. But... I remember graduating and literally Googling what jobs can you get with an English degree. I genuinely did not know what I was going to do. My mum said it was the saddest thing. Like I'd get up every day, sit at the kitchen table, nine to six, apply for jobs. And she'd come down every single day and like make me a cup of tea and be like, any luck? And I'd be like, nope, I got so many rejections. And then I came across, when I Googled, what can you do with an English degree? PR came up and I didn't know what PR was. Could have been anything. Anyway, Googled it, found a public relations firm, still didn't really know what they did, to be honest, and applied. And then that was my first job, working as an intern in a PR company. A learning just from, you know, the first moment was that getting a job interview when you're physically in the room with someone is just amazing. Like, you should pat yourself on the back if you even get an interview, I think. And I remember going in and the job was so wrong for me. It was, it was being a financial... PR went in and was interviewed and then they were like "Mm, we don't think you're right but we really like you so actually I think we can find you something and it was just a lesson that you can 
blag things and your personality really matters and being nice and making small talk and asking them how their weekend was and being a person that got me the job not my cv so that was one thing the other thing was i'm so glad that that was my first job now it was during her work in pr that emma first began blogging as a side project before it became the stepping stone to journalism and greater freedom as a writer i don't think doing pr is a bad job um as I said, I I do it now with my own projects. But if you want to be creative, it's not the best environment. If you want to be a writer, like it is kind of the opposite of what you want to be doing, because you're told to sell, sell, sell. And it's taking any sort of fun out of anything, you know, it is very corporate where I was working. So anyway, realized that, you know, that was my day job, fine, got to have a day job. As I said, I didn't know anyone that had a creative job and got paid for it. So I just I had no entitlement. I was like, I'm I'm going to work for my whole life in an office. And on the side, I'm going to write the things I want to write. And my life will still be good, because I'll still write and I'll still have people reading my work so actually great I have the best of both worlds so um, I started a blog and obviously it was 2009 and it was amazing because it was a blogging boom and if you had a blog in 2009 you were just going to get swept up in it it was incredible I had loads of readers had brands wanting to work with me and so it was a timing thing but it was also my passion was the reason it happened so I sidestepped into journalism Long story short, because my blog started getting popular, the magazines then wanted to publish me. So if it was anything, that blog got me published in magazines and it also got me my first book deal. So really happy about that blog. But yeah, I got a LinkedIn message out of the blue from Condé Nast saying, really like your work. Do you want to come in for an interview? And I thought it was spam, so I deleted it. And then they got in touch again and I realised it was real. I just have a weird thing about LinkedIn. I don't think it's real, but it is. It's real people. So went in for an interview and started working there, which was really incredible experience. What was interesting is when I got that message from from Condé Nast saying, we'd love for you to come and work for us. The amazing thing about a company coming to you is you have this power, like my kind of intern self didn't have, where they're interviewing you, but they really want you and actually you know, you're interviewing them. So what was great about that opportunity is I actually asked for a four day week and they said yes. So that was the reason I could get my book written is because I had a day off every week. Companies are having to join in because if they want to retain talent and they want to attract amazing people, people are going to be put off. I genuinely think it's no longer going to be a perk. I think it's going to just be a right and people will look at a job and think, "Mm, I don't really want to apply for that because it's full time. And I don't think we're there. I really don't think we're there at all. We're at the very, very start of it. It's just a shame because there's so much research. Like You can't argue with, with data and there's so much of it. As a freelancer, we hear how Emma manages her productivity, how she's found the change from full time to independent working and how she's now recruiting others to help her with her work. I'm really obsessed with productivity. I think that success for me in my job is being productive. I think if you're a creative person, all all you want to do is produce stuff. So how do you get to that point where you are making stuff happen at a rate that you're comfortable with? But yeah, I get things done in a much 
smaller amount of time now. I suppose when I sat in an office and saw how little I could get done in eight hours, it was kind of amazing. Like, it's kind of impressive how much time I wasted. And I'm not saying this of all people and not saying offices are bad. I just know that me personally, it just wasn't a good recipe for getting stuff done. Now, I don't see it as dead time, really, at all, wandering around, writing down ideas, going for a walk. I don't think being at my laptop equals productivity. So... I really like my own space and my own company and I love having no interruptions. The worst thing for me was when people used to just come over and tap me on the shoulder and I'm in the middle of something. But at the same time, it's important to feel part of the world and part of a team and part of something. So having other people around me is so important. I have friends, you know, I have WhatsApp groups with other people. We, we've all got the same sort of job. We all talk about money. We all talk about how much we're going to charge for a job. We talk about how we're having a bit of a confidence blip. That's so important. You need that. And then I also love working in really busy cafes where I can see someone else trying to make something happen as well. And they're strangers, so they're not going to interrupt you, but you feel like you're part of other people working, if that makes sense. And then the other thing I would say is I love that I work with other people now. I employ people now. It's all very, you know, depending on the work and what's coming in, very ad hoc, but I have a producer who does all my live events. I do live podcasts that we record in a, in a venue. She's amazing. I have an agent who sort of, deals with like the brand partnerships and contracts and the legal stuff and and then I have like a web designer who I talk to a lot because I'm always updating my my website you know just people like that who become part of like the outside of what you're doing. Starting out in her bedroom we hear how Emma's podcast Control Alt Delete has grown and how she's been able to attract some of her dream interviewees with guests including Lena Dunham, Ava DuVernay and Greta Gerwig to name just a few. So yeah, I started my podcast two years ago when my first book came out and um, I noticed in America a lot of authors were writing books and then launching a podcast to promote said book. So I thought that's a good idea. I'll interview some of my friends or well-known creatives about their life. And I had no idea. I did my first episode on Skype. I did it with Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. So that was incredible. I don't know why she said yes, because I had nothing to show her. Did it on Skype and then bought a really rubbish microphone off eBay. And don't go and listen to my first few episodes. They're horrendous. But I just think I'm really proud, actually, and I'm not going to delete them because it shows how a project grows. It shows how things can be really rough around the edges and then they grow into something really shiny. That's how everything starts. That's how restaurants with a real heart and soul start. You know, it's literally people on the floor packing things and sweating and then maybe they upgrade to this amazing fancy place on a high street in New York. So yeah, the podcast now reaches a lot of people and I work with really big brands and it's a platform in itself now and I'm really proud of it. I think I, it was the podcast I wanted to listen to, so. I'm still learning. I still don't think it's perfect, but I chose not to do it in a studio because I didn't want it to be that sort of glossy radio thing. Some of the conversations I've had on the podcast are because I went and visited someone when they were in London for two days and, and I did it in their hotel room while they were getting dressed. I couldn't have dragged them into a studio, but I think we need to focus more on the content and sometimes less on how perfect it looks. To get interviewees on a podcast is 
always a bit of a kind of a long shot. I suppose for me, I think, firstly, people love talking about themselves. Like, it makes you feel good when people ask you about yourself. So people really like coming on podcasts. You, you know, you, you're more likely people will say yes than no. Through her work, Emma spends a lot of time researching, thinking and writing about working cultures. She shares some of her most surprising findings from her work on the multi-hyphen method. So in the burnout chapter, I interviewed a few people, but I also did my own research and I found a couple of quotes and one of them was from the founder of Kickstarter and he just quoted that social media had got as addictive as smoking, probably paraphrasing that, but he'd done you know a lot of research into that. And I guess I did find that quite shocking because... I know we always say, oh, we love our phones. And Ariana Huffington always says that people sleep with their phones under their pillow. Like that's some of the research she's done that people actually go to bed every night, like with their phone in the bed with them. So I knew that, but I didn't quite realize like the physical effects. And I also read Matthew Walker's How to Sleep book. And I pulled out some of the quotes from that book around like the blue light um, of our phones and just all of the kind of chemicals in our body and what staying up every night with the phone in our face is doing to us. That stuff was really interesting to me. And I think actually as well, being, you know, a creative person trying to make stuff, well, you can't make anything if you're online the whole time. You can't make anything if you're sat scrolling through social media and refreshing stuff. It's also really bad for comparing yourself. If you want to go and make something you're really proud of, you can't have other people's work in your face the whole time. It just doesn't work. So I think, you know, just as we're having a bit of a backlash to the mainstream side hustle thing, I think we're also seeing that we're going to get bored of our phones soon. And I can't wait. I cannot wait for us all to just chill out a bit to be honest I feel like we're still like teenagers having a midnight feast and feeling really like we can't get enough of our phones we're still learning it's still new we haven't always had this it's one big group experiment where none of us know what we're doing we still get things wrong and if you go back and look at anyone's twitter feed seven years ago oh my god what were you saying you know we just didn't realize how much of our identities would be embedded in this thing what's really great a lot of my friends who are also like writers and online creators they're taking months off at a time and nothing goes wrong you literally go offline for a month and you come back on and I think more of us will be doing that we finished by asking Emma her tips for anyone wanting to adopt a similar multifaceted approach to their work so my advice for anyone starting out now would be to lead with the intention and the idea that you have and the goals that you have it's great to look at trends and it's really good to look at what platforms are doing well. But I think you need to work on what your message is before anything else. I think the platform always comes second. So work out what you want to achieve. Maybe it's that you want people to see your illustrations. Maybe it's that you want people to read your words. Maybe it's that you want to be a film director. Whatever that is, I think you need to pick a platform and really stick to it. You, I don't think you can spread yourself too thin over social media platforms now because it's just such a waste of time. And also being really consistent with it. I know so many people that start blogs and then don't blog for a month and then they kind of wonder why people aren't engaging. But, it, you know, you do have to keep it up. So I would say to be consistent, which doesn't mean having to put something out every day. It just means manage people's expectations of how often you might be putting things up. I would say to 
create a community, however small that is. It's really important. Even if you're finding like five other people online who do the same things as you and you want to meet up in person. I'd also say that sometimes you are onto something and you have a gut instinct and other people won't get it. And you will face a lot of people who don't believe in you or don't really know what you're doing or they're quite snobby. Maybe you're doing something that's quite a new art form and unfortunately people will look down on you if your job title is quite new. So I think it's just do it for you because that's what will make something successful at the end of the day. When we talk about side hustles as well, a lot of it is in conjunction with earning more money, which I think is sometimes a little bit dangerous because you're overworking then. So you're working all day and then you're working moonlighting, earning more. But I think what can be really good is having a miniature side hustle or maybe working four days a week and then having a day to explore because what happens is you do realize that there are other ways of monetizing things and for me it worked because I had a day job and then I had sort of another stream of income that was just really exciting to me because I didn't need to keep it but I thought wow this is so cool to have like an extra bit of money coming in how exciting and so I took that experience and now I have probably around seven different streams of income some are regular some are every single month so if all the others went I would know that I could pay my but what's you know good and bad about that I suppose is um you have to be really organized you have to be really on top of it it's like a lot of things coming in even if it's small pieces of income so it's a balancing act which is kind of difficult but then the positive of that is you've just got more security because this is what's funny is people think it's less secure not having a job but actually multiple income streams you're covered it's just making sure that they become regular Um, and that was a really good analogy actually that someone said recently which is that a table is more secure with eight legs than one i i'm just i am trying to wave the flag for multiple income streams being a positive thing i don't think we're there yet i think people still think it's kind of a crazy idea but i think it can work out quite well This episode of Creative Lives was brought to you by Lecture in Progress. It was presented by me, Indy Davis, and the guest was Emma Gannon. The editor was Ivor Manley. Lecture in Progress is made possible with the support of a number of brand partners. They include Us2, GF Smith, Google, and the Paul Smith Foundation. For more information, check out lectureinprogress.com.